You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Do you remember what kind of shape that he was in after he tried to eat that 96er? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to be in rough shape next Tuesday. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Curra. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hook! And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Uh, Wednesday was McHappy Day at McDonald's Brazilian Tide. Did you put away any Big Macs? No, because I don't like Big Macs. What? What? No, yeah, the extra piece of bread, the the crappy sauce they put on. No, uh, we did go to McDonald's for lunch though, and I like did the whole add a dollar to your to your order thing. So my name got put on a shoe or whatever they were putting on the wall. So you did your part. Well done, buddy. I only put away two Big Macs, which is what eleven hundred calories. I could have done more because on Monday, <sighs> I'm so nervous for this. I'm taking part in another food challenge. Weird. <laughs> but this one is quantity and speed. It's a two-pound burger with all the fixings, cheese, bacon, onions, tomatoes, bun, and a side salad. Now, I'm mostly worried about the onions, tomatoes, and the side salad. I don't think I'll have a problem getting the meat down. <laughs> it's the <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> Do you have any tips for me? Um, I What I do when I go to Cheers and I eat the Monster Deluxe. So it, what's this the entail? The bun falls apart. Uh, three patties, uh, bacon, slices of ham. Okay, lettuce, so it's pretty onions, big, yeah. Cheese. Yeah, it's not a small meal. Um, I leave the toothpick in it so it stays together. Okay. First, and I eat it upside down because <laughs> the top bun is more dense, right? Mm-hmm. So I eat it upside down so it stays. I get it to stay together for as long as possible. And then eventually once it falls apart, I just go to the knife and fork and just eat as and just eat kind of each individual piece separately after that. I'm kind of thinking about eating the stuff I don't like first. No, you want to go salad last. Salad last? Yes, because it fills you up way more. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I find when I eat salad, I'm just, it just makes me want more food. So maybe you should eat salad first. I hey, don't know. Maybe that is a, is a good plan. It's one of those things where I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. No, I just think you're damned if you eat any of this because you're not going to feel well. But, well, it's like if I succeed, then I get judged. If I don't succeed... Then I get judged. Yeah. You know what movie was on the other day that I watched when I was home with a hangover? I'm going to guess great uh, The Great Outdoors, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do, do you remember what kind of shape that he was in after he tried to eat that 96er? <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to be in rough shape next Tuesday. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. You're going to have to find yourself a spin cycle. <laughs> In the Huddle with Karan Ty on the Two and Out Podcast.
Before we get to our guest today, Marshall Ferguson of TSN 1150 in Hamilton, and of course he contributes to CFL.ca. I want to give best wishes to Dan Clark, offensive lineman for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's in stable condition, but in Saskatoon Hospital after a car accident on Tuesday. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw that come across uh, Twitter yesterday. It's just crazy. Uh, you know, and, and especially with my job, the most dangerous thing we do is drive. And, you know, it pro- I wouldn't consider it the most dangerous thing that CFL players do considering the amount of trauma their bodies go through. But it just shows that uh, a single car accident uh, is still still possible and it shows you just how dangerous driving is. And, and these guys going out and trying to be more invested in the community and, and you know, it just it sucks that, this ha- that it happened, uh, no doubt, and it just... It just goes like you know, road safety is huge, and, and you know, when it comes when it comes right down to it, it's the most dangerous thing anybody does in their life, really. Uh, so it's just a just a reminder, a crappy reminder. Uh, glad to see that he's okay though, and, and it looks like he'll make a full recovery. Yeah, you're right. He was speaking at a school uh, before the accident ended up happening. Of course, football takes the back burner to this. Hopefully, mm-hmm. he can uh, get out of the hospital and be feeling better as soon as possible. Um, the Great Cup economic impact stats were released from this past game, Great Cup in Edmonton. <laughs> $81 million. How much of that was Brazilian Ty's tab on the Wednesday night of Grey Cup? <laughs> oh, that, yeah. I, I'd love to let you know, but I don't remember. <laughs> it just goes to show how Big a deal having the Grey Cup in your city is. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that the province of Alberta is happy to have it here once again this coming November. I uh, do want to mention that teams have started to tease the new era gear, so we should start seeing that stuff soon. Uh, maybe next week. I saw a tweet from Brian at BC Lions Den saying that we could be seeing it next Wednesday. I hope that's true. And uh, we get to see what the teams are doing. Uh, don't expect a major redesign. Obviously, Montreal did. Uh, but it looks like maybe there might be more of a redesign coming next year or the year after that. Before we get Marshall on the line, got to say thank you to ATB Financial for sponsoring Two and Out this week. They've got a podcast of their own called We Are Alberta. It's hosted by economist Nick Ford. And I don't know about you, Ty, but I'm always looking for the next get rich fast scheme. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not, you know, putting a hundred bucks down on Bitcoin ten years ago or whatever. So <laughs> the last So, so you don't wanna you don't wanna work hard. I do not want to work. <laughs> oh, that, that's right, you work in radio, never mind. <laughs> So uh, the last two episodes of We Are Alberta, all about these Bitcoin mines. It is so fascinating. Check it out, atb.com slash Alberta. Very cool podcast with Nick Ford. You can get it on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere podcasts are generally cast. Or pods are generally cast. There, there we go. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets one. Now we've got Marshall Ferguson from TSN 1150 in Hamilton. And, of course, he contributes to CFL.ca on the line. A lot to talk about today. I was just going to talk about draft, but uh, I know you were at McDonald's today. McHappy Day. TSN was there. How many Big Macs did you put away? 
Uh, we uh, we crushed some Egg McMuffins for free this morning because we nice. have corporate shills. Uh, <laughs> we did that. We should have made a bit out of it. We should have done it on camera, but we destroyed a couple of them. But, yeah, there's uh, it's crazy, man. Like, the thing that I, and I know we'll get, probably get into all this stuff, but the thing that I've come to appreciate more and more is I've kind of, like, picked up my coverage and tried to find new ways to cover the off season because it is so interesting. It's like, it's crazy how, I don't know if it's just a recency thing, like, since I've been in the league in the last couple of years covering it, but... I feel like if you go four days without there being a headline that actually matters to people, then it's rare now, right? Like, it's it's pretty wild how, whether it's, like, Alamimian getting released or Crepinia the other day or, uh, like, some quarterback signings late or early or what Mike Riley, like, the whole thing. I think this offseason's been wild because it's just constant, constant news, which is amazing. Well, yeah, even without CFL week, because the biggest complaint about the yeah. CFL was that nothing would happen between November and June, but there's no CFL week, and a lot has happened. Yeah, no, it's been great for sure. Uh, so the, I guess the big headline Wednesday was Ricky Ray makes his decision, and he is going to be retiring uh, before the upcoming season. I, I I think I'm still going to look at him as going off the field as a champion in 2017 in Ottawa because that was just perfect. But as a quarterback yourself, Ricky Ray, he's got to be on the CFL's Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah, absolutely, I think. And, and the thing that I've really been thinking about this in the last you know couple of days and really in the last couple of weeks since we kind of heard that he was in a transitionary phase and that he was probably looking at making his way out of the game and all the rest was just the idea of, like, not necessarily, you know, the top five in the Mount Rushmore conversation, but, like, what made him special and will we see that again? Like, where do we find the next Ricky Ray and what is the skill set that allowed him to have such great longevity? And I know everybody today is talking about touch on the football and how that differentiated him from everybody. And they're not wrong when they say that. Like, absolutely, he threw the ball in a way that was so soft and so accurate, so precise. But the thing that I think will forever separate Ricky Ray from the competition to me is his anticipation. And I think that's the thing that when I when I evaluate quarterbacks, whether it's U sports quarterbacks or NFL guys that are coming to the CFL or NCAA, the thing I always appreciate is when – you know, there's a there's a, a wide side out, and Ricky Ray wouldn't throw it like Michael Bishop, right? Like he wasn't right. ripping the thing. Yeah. He wasn't he, he wasn't throwing it late and getting away with it. Ricky's thing, even right up until that 2017 Grey Cup, was I know where I'm going to go with the ball before the snap, which is again part of anticipation is processing and understanding defenses because he's seen everything. But the anticipation, he would throw a five yard out to the boundary, a really really simple throw. It'd be out of his hand as a receiver was starting to chop their feet, right? And it didn't come out like a bullet. But he just knew, oh, okay, yeah, I see that coverage. Yep, he's going to be open. I'm going to let it go now. And if we just get rid of the ball, it would protect him. It would help his offensive line. It would keep his running backs pressure because they weren't getting the crap beat out of them the entire game by having to pick up blitzes. Like, just the effect of him on a roster, I think, is something that is really, really special because of his anticipation. And then you combine that with his maturity, his leadership, how much he was respected in the league and all that stuff. And, yeah, he's absolutely one of those top five guys for me. But I just – I wonder when or if, again, we will see somebody that has that kind of small school, Sacramento State, grind away, find a job, uh, earn your way through the game, learn the Canadian game the way that he did, and then master it the way that he did by using all those great intangibles and tangibles that I just mentioned. So that that was Wednesday. If we go back to Monday, we'll go back to kind of your backyard with the Thai Cats releasing 14 players, including, you know, Capicotti, Alex Green. Uh, they did, however, sign Dylan Wynn uh, yesterday. But 
Where, where does this leave Hamilton in, in the Solomon Alamamian sweepstakes? That's a great question. The second that I saw it, I immediately thought, okay, this is just a cat move, like to be able to make room for Solomon Alamamian. And I thought, I think a lot of people, and I saw a lot of this on Twitter as well, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you guys did, like the idea of uh, it's obvious the Tiger Cats are just making room and they, they want to go after him. And I also keep in mind, included in that 14 players that was cut was Terrence Plummer, which seemed to suggest, yeah, uh, that there's some movement here that's going on, and they still might get him. And there's the Mark Washington factor, the defensive coordinator from BC that's come to Hamilton now. Uh, so that's totally on the table, and I think that that would be a good move for the Ticats. How much he has left in the tank, I'm not sure. I mean, he's certainly not the player that he was, but I also think it's unfair for me to judge him based on a season where he came back from a wrist injury and he wasn't playing necessarily at full speed. I mean, I remember I was in BC last year with CFL.ca getting ready for the crossover game, the Lions at the Ticats, and they weren't sure Solomon was going to play in that game. And so I'm going in as the play-by-play voice for the Ticats on TSN 1150 Hamilton. And I was thinking to myself, like, they're going to start this guy for real? Once we saw the depth chart, I'm like, okay, let's see what he's got. Very first play, you guys probably remember this, he shot. He brought mm-hmm. down the running back in the backfield for the Ticats. And yeah. I just remember, like, looking at Mike Morielli, my color guy on radio, and just we basically looked at each other and went, oh, hell. Because we realized right away, we're like, if, if this dude is going to do, you know, Team 100 type stuff like he did with Big Hill in this playoff game, the Tigers might be screwed. Like, if he, if he dominates the line of scrimmage, they're going to have to throw it all over the place. Now, sure enough, they did. They went crazy. They won the game. But after that, I don't think I called his name the rest of the game, right? So there's some questions for me as to what exactly he is at this point in his career. But the bigger story out of those cuts for me, guys, is by letting Alex Green go and drafting Malik Irons out of Ohio last week in the CFL draft, I think they're going to go Canadian at running back. And I think there's, there's two reasons for that. And it's great because, you know, we've seen Andrew Harris and the impact that having a Canadian running back can do uh, for your team. But I talked to June Jones earlier in the offseason, and I, I went up to him actually at the Great Cup announcement party where Hamilton got 20, uh, 2021 and Saskatchewan got 2020. And I said to him, like, I was doing some crunching on numbers and efficiency and, you know, positive play percentage and some of these metrics that I like to look at to figure out who's actually good at playing football in the CFL. And I told him, I'm like, Sean Thomas Erlington was your most efficient and your most effective player based on the number of snaps on offense that you gave him, either at running back or at slot. And he was like, really? I'm like, yeah. Wow. I'm like, like, June, he he was more efficient than Brandon Banks. He was more efficient than Luke Tasker. When I say efficient, I mean – what is the return that you are getting on targets for a player, right? So if I throw Mm -hmm. Brandon Banks the ball 120 times and he gets me X amount of touchdowns, that's awesome. But Sean Thomas Erlington and the limited number of touches that he got actually had a more positive impact on the Ticats last year. And so I said, like, what's the plan moving forward? And June was like, well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going through film and I looked at it and I thought to myself, you know, he knows how to pass block. If he knows how to pass block and he can catch the ball to the backfield, and he runs it well between the tackles, why wouldn't we give him a shot? Then, sure enough, they draft Malik Irons, and then they'd get rid of Alex Green. And keep in mind, they signed, uh, they signed Cameron Marshall from Saskatchewan as a free agent in the offseason as well. And I think what they're going to do here, guys, is go probably Sean Thomas Irvington as the week one running back starter, which sounds wow. crazy, but it's June Jones, and I don't doubt in all that he has this in mind, that I think he's going to end up going Sean Thomas Irvington at running back, backed up, maybe supplemented by somebody else that they're going to bring in. I don't know what that second running back Canadian would be in terms of depth, but I think Malik Irons is going to get a chance right away to impact the roster, and I think Cameron Marshall is going to dress, and he's going to be able to contribute on special teams as well. And by doing that, they allow Braylon Addison to dress as a receiver that came in from Oregon at the end of the year, and all of a sudden you get Brandon Banks, Luke Tasker, 
Rashad Lawrence, Mike Jones, Shamad Chambers. I mean, you get just a plethora of speed on the field, and we know that's what June's all about. So I think that's the direction. That's what I really read into that whole cutdown. And then Capicotti, I think he was just a salary cap kind of sacrificial lamb at that point where uh, you just can't pay a guy that much money at his age for a national defensive end unless he's being a complete game changer for you. And he was kind of in a rotation all year last year with Adrian mm-hmm. Tracy. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. I mean, I, we really talked it through on my radio show in Hamilton because – there was a lot of angles to cutting just those two guys that told you about the direction of the team. Before we talk about the draft where uh, the Ticats took Malik Irons, uh, the PA and the league are scheduled to meet a few times next week before training camp, I guess, officially starts on the 18th. Things really don't seem all that optimistic right now. <laughs> where do yeah. you see this thing going? <laughs> Uh, I think the, uh, I don't know what movie this is from. I feel like it's a John Sutherland film or something, but the night is darkest just before the dawn. I okay. Think, uh, is the best line that I can go with on this. I feel like, I mean, we miss training camp. We might end up having, uh, you know, some flexing of the Players Association. And maybe that, you know, rightfully so. They are uh, within their rights, within their collective bargaining, within Brian Ramsey's ability as the director of the PA to be able to do whatever they need to do to get what they deem to be a fair deal. In my mind, for both of these sides and from knowing people that have worked in the Players Association before and talking to them about how these negotiations go, there comes a point where it's mutually unbeneficial to both sides. And so I just feel like at some point they're going to get this thing done. I honestly haven't talked about it much in Hamilton on radio because I just feel like I don't know what's happening inside that room. Like yeah. when I try and you know tear, tear it apart to 20 different pieces and tell you exactly what's happening... I'm glad that it's behind closed doors. I wish that they would never say anything. I wish that they would have stayed at the bargaining table, too. Like, I'll say that. But it's just, for me, I think this is going to get sorted out. And the one thing that really bothers me, and I was actually talking about it with the guy that was changing my oil today here in Hamilton. Because he was asking, <laughs> he saw me in a Ticats shirt today, and he started asking me all these questions about it. And I just said, like, the thing that bothers me is, I, and I think you guys have a good sense of this, too, based on the headlines that come out. Matthew Shinetti and Dave Naylor do a great job covering this stuff, is that, you know, they spend January and February kind of, you know, tentative talks, and they meet once, and then they say, you know, we'll, we'll begin talks in March, and then they get together and they talk about some of the frivolous things and some of the things that don't matter. And then we get a month out from the season, they're like, ah, you know what, we should start talking about the ratio and base compensation. You know, we should get around to that. And then they, we're two weeks out, and they're really starting to get down to back, starting to talk about the things that really matter. I'm like, dude, why don't you guys start talking about this stuff in January? Like, I understand it's negotiating, and I understand that everybody has an agenda they have to follow, and they're trying to power play each other to get the best deal for their side. That's fine. That's business. I'm no businessman. I'm just an idiot who talks on radio. But I just feel like, why can't we, in these types of negotiations, sit down on January 1st and say, you know what, guys? We're not missing any time. We might want to negotiate hard. We might reach a stalemate at different points. But let's start the negotiations by talking about ratio. Let's start by talking about base compensation. Let's start by talking about player safety, health, insurance, the things that they're actually arguing about now, why wasn't this dealt with four or five months ago? That's really my only analysis and frustration on it. Again, I think this stuff's going to get dealt with. I just wish that we weren't sitting here questioning what's happening because I'm fired up to watch football as of June. Like, I, I was looking today at my schedule with the Ticats, and I messaged my boss, and I'm like, are you sure we're going to book all this stuff? Because we don't know what's happening right now. He's like, <laughs> you're going to plan for it. He's like, we're going to plan for it all. And then we're going to pull the trigger the damn second that they say, yeah, it's a go. And I think that's going to happen sooner rather than later. Well, that's awesome because there's supposed to be football this month. <laughs> I know, it's wild. It is wild. Uh, so we've kind of had a week to digest the draft. 
Was there anything that stood out to you in general after it was all said and done? Uh, I think the first thing that jumped out to me is that I'm an idiot because I didn't give Saskatchewan a receiver, I think, in, the, in my oh. mock draft. And they, and they took two of them. So I immediately, as the draft was going on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have read more articles out of Regina, apparently, because I, I completely whiffed on that bad boy. But, um, yeah, I think the thing that jumped out to me was just the depth of talent in the receiving group. Uh, it went kind of as I thought it would, like Justin McKinnis from Arkansas State, Herjie Mayala from UConn going to the Calgary St. Peter's. Uh, Braden Lenius going to, uh, to Saskatchewan there in the second round. Uh, the thing that, that I think was interesting that I, I honestly didn't really predict, and I don't really understand why it happened, and I think this is a great thing that happened for the Montreal Alouettes, was Chris Osikusi, from everything that I heard at the Combine, interviewed incredibly well, like to the point where I talked to a skit that was blown away, and he's like, he's the smartest guy in the draft. He's the most honest. He's the most down-to-earth. Wow. He wants to work. He's in amazing physical shape. He ran the fastest 40. I think he came in at like a, like a 4.49, something like that at the Combine. So everything about him was, you were, I always say this at the Combine on the coverage on CFL.ca, is all you're trying to do at the Combine is check boxes, right? And if you check boxes of interviews well, knows how to compose himself, uh, he knows how to understand X's and O's, uh, you know, tests relatively well at a basic level that tells you, yeah, he can play in this league. I just thought Chris Osikusi, I think in my second mock draft, I might have had him going like ninth overall or something like that. Uh, and I thought I had him going to Ottawa. And then I talked to a receivers coach in the league, and he told me, expect Osikusi to fall to like the third or the fourth round. And I was like, um, why? Because like, if I'm a GM, I'm, I mean, I might have been reaching on that in the, in the first round. But I, I certainly thought at minimum he was a second-round pick. And then he ends up sliding backwards, and the reasoning for it was, they view him, a lot of people in the CFL, and apparently everybody, because he did end up sliding back that far, they view him as being a developmental guy because his route running isn't good enough. And it's, it kind of reminded me, again, of talking to June Jones last year, where I, I talked to him about Dan Peterman one day when we were in Winnipeg before the Bombers-Ticats game, and I said, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting that he uh, yeah, hasn't really been given that much of an opportunity in Winnipeg and that Peterman fell that deep in the draft. And, and June said to me, Oh, I loved that guy, and I said, "Yeah, me too." He like he made me look like a way better quarterback than I was when I was at McMaster. <laughs> and and when I said that to him, he goes, "You know, people had concerns with him being able to run routes." And June told me, "I don't give a damn about how he runs routes now. I'll teach you how to play a receiver. I can't teach you how to do the rest of the stuff that you mm-hmm. do." So that was kind of the same way that I felt about OC Kusi. I think a lot of teams will regret not taking him long term. But the takeaway for me on that draft class was uh, that first and foremost, the idea of the receiving group. Uh, kind of sliding in a couple of different ways I didn't necessarily expect. And then the other one was because it was a really weak linebacker draft, there was only five linebackers that were drafted total out of 73 picks, which is wild in a league that values national special teamers as much as the CFL does. Uh, the idea of uh, you got to find your, your special teamers somewhere else, right? Like you, got, you can't not try to get a bunch of special teams guys. And what teams did was they drafted the most defensive linemen in the history of a CFL draft in the modern era. They drafted 20 of them. So 20 of the 73 picks were defensive linemen, and they ain't all pass rushers. Like, there's a lot of guys there that are just going to be playing on special teams, but they had to be able to find those players to go on their teams somewhere else, and they certainly did a D-line. So that was my kind of my main two takeaways. And then the last one that I'll say is I was just pissed off Chris Merchant didn't get drafted from, from Western, the quarterback. Like, that dude has worked so hard. He has so much talent. He has so much potential. And when you're taking, like, Saskatchewan – all respect to Chris Judge, the 28-year-old older yeah. brother of the camera guy. Like, what, what are you doing taking the older brother of a guy at 28 years old that hasn't played football off and off for the last couple of years, when if you draft a Canadian quarterback with the consideration the ratio might be changing for QB sooner rather than later, 
you've got a chance to have Chris Merchant be not just necessarily a face of your franchise, but something of interest in a crazy market like Regina. I just there was a lot of teams I think that could have used his name in the fold, and I think they would have been pleasantly surprised. And he did not end up getting drafted, which bothered me because he deserved to have his moment. I mean, we could probably say this about a lot of the you know eighth round picks, but the Riders only had Ottawa and Calgary after them. They could have probably just signed him after the draft and uh, yeah. brought him up to Regina, but they but they didn't and. A lot of the fans in Regina, they seem to be kind of confused that they went with two receivers to start their draft as well. Uh, they, they kind of wanted to shore up the offensive line depth a little bit, but these two receivers are imposing men, and it looks like they could really help the Canadian side of uh, the receiving core for the Riders for the next 10 years if they end up in the in camp and with the team. Yeah, I think it was a really, really... I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had the most interesting draft. I'll say that. They might not have been the winners. They certainly weren't the losers based on the guys they got. But I just think when you have a new general manager in Jeremy O'Day, and it's his first ride, it's his chance to kind of set the tone for a franchise, and you have Craig Dickinson coming in as a head coach, and it's it's a kind of a culture draft, right? You're trying to decide what do we want to be moving forward and how do we want to shape our national roster spots. And I think what, what a lot of people were expecting, myself included, was... They'll just go basic. You know, Dave's got experience in line play, so he'll go O-line. He'll shore that up. You never know what's going to happen across the O-line there. You never know when a defensive lineman is going to get a bad injury, like it's happened so many times to the Eskimos the last couple of years. So you better have depth in those positions because that matters as you get past week 15, week you know, 18, 20. And so I thought they were just going to go basic, but when they went receiver, I started looking at their depth chart. I'm like, they got Corey Watson, who's getting up there in age. They got Mitchell Pickton, who hasn't taken a CFL rep in the regular season. I mean, there's not... A lot there. Spencer Moore moved on this year. Was was moved to Montreal as a fullback, H-back kind of guy. So they gotta they gotta shore that up for sure. And I think if anything else, if you're a Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan, you're trying to find something positive. And you won't like this, but I think this is the reality. You want both of these guys to become studs. And if they do, it's a huge win. And congrats, and you drafted very well. I think it might be like RG3 and Kirk Cousins getting drafted by the Washington Redskins because in that draft they just said, hey. We'll take RG3. If he doesn't work out, we hope Kirk Cousins does. I think what they did with these first two picks was try to make sure that at least we get one. Like, if one of them doesn't work out, if Justin McKinnis doesn't turn into the route runner, we think maybe Braden Lennius will be the guy. Or if Braden Lennius can't block or he can't be in the box or he can't, you know, have the same type of shake and move off the line that we do for McKinnis, then maybe McKinnis makes it. Like, I just feel like they're going to be working in tandem with each other. At the same time, with that being said, I believe Keon Julian Grant went to Montreal, and Chris Osikusi also went there, too. And, like, I had those guys as my two top-ranked U-sports receivers that were coming out this year, and so they're going to be in competition with each other, and they're going to be driving each other forward. I just, I love the draft for that kind of, the idea of, of the backgrounds, the stories, the competition, and you put these guys together, and that's how you make a roster. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're watching Friday Night Football on TSN on a, you know, a July Friday night, and you've got, you know, Nick Dembski going crazy, or you've got yourself Anthony Coombs going wild for, for the Argonauts here. I just, it's so much fun to see these guys actually get into the league, put a jersey on, play professional football in front of people that care, and then actually accomplish something. That's kind of what gets me fired up about the draft every year. You'd mentioned Chris Merchant when we were talking about, you know, the Riders with, with all their picks and him not getting drafted at all. Uh, you know, the Argos you know, dra- draft O-lineman Shane Richards first overall, but then they take Michael O'Connor from UBC at the beginning of the third round. They've got three Canadians on the roster now. 
with Michael O'Connor, Noah Pickton, and Brandon Bridge. Uh, what do you think the strategy is here? Is, is it publicity, or, or do they know something in regards to a Canadian QB coming towards the ratio, or are they just I, – I don't know if they – I don't want to say hedging bets, but if, if they do know something that we don't know, it looks really good. Yeah, I think Pop is always trying to stay ahead of the curve, and that's a credit to him, and he's successfully done that with these quarterback moves. I'll also say this, like, if, if you were going to go for a PR move, which I am always concerned about with Canadian quarterbacks, I think, mm-hmm. in all honesty, like, Brandon Bridge is a very good player, but I think part of that was the idea of him coming home, because he played high school in Mississauga at St. Marcellinus. So I was actually in the same high school football camp at McMaster as Brandon Bridge, and I remember him walking up to me and I just said, yeah, you're not the same species I am. Like, you're just <laughs> you're different, you're a different animal. We're a different genus and species than each other, but, um, but he is somebody that I think that you could, you know, point that finger and say, well, maybe he's a PR, a little bit of a move, but he's still a very good player. And I think based on what the Argos are building there with a running game and a defense with Corey Chamberlain kind of changing that culture for Mark mm-hmm. Dresden, I think, I think you're going to end up getting – some package plays maybe for Brandon Bridge where they try to utilize his athleticism and a change of pace with speed from James Franklin because James Franklin can run, and James Franklin will run through your soul, but he ain't going to run around your soul. And Brandon Bridge, that's what he wants to do, and so maybe we see a little bit of him. But Noah Pickton's a hell of a player. If Noah Pickton was Michael O'Connor's size, he'd be in the NFL. I honestly believe that. Like, Noah Pickton is an unbelievable quarterback. When I watched him a couple years ago, the reads he made – the speed he processed things with, like his ability to throw the ball on different arcs. I just, I have so much respect for Noah Pickton. As a guy that played in U Sports, watching him do what he did, I'm like, yeah, wow, he's significantly better than anything I would ever be even able to dream of. And then for Michael O'Connor, they draft him at 20th, and that to me was the stamp of approval that this is legit. Like he's not coming here because we just think it'd be cool to have this story. I think. You draft a guy 20th, you draft him because you have somebody that can legitimately start. And I talked to Vince Magri, who is the Canadian scouting director, I believe now. He was actually a center at McMaster when I was there. And I just texted him after the draft. I said, hey, man, good job. And, like, that's, that's a great pick with Mike. And he said, yeah, we legitimately think that he can start someday. Like, we would not be doing this if we didn't think that he had an opportunity to not just be a ratio guy and a backup and hold a clipboard and come in, in garbage time or be the short yardage QB or any of those things. They're like, He's a quarterback. That, that's it. And I think that's the greatest compliment that you can give a Canadian is he's just a quarterback that we want on our roster. And I think Nathan Rourke coming out in a couple of years from Ohio is going to be another one of those guys. I know there's another couple of Canadian quarterbacks that are developing right now in the NCAA ranks. My hope is that this stuff continues to develop to the point where we're not wondering, mm, should we change the ratio? We're just saying, oh, yeah, there's like legitimately 20 quarterbacks that have Canadian passports that are good enough to be in this league, why not give them all an opportunity to just play equal and fair? Because O'Connor could be a game-changer in that sense because he's got all the talent in the world, and now he's got a place to try and develop it. And the Argos loved him when he was in training camp last year as well in the internship program that the uh, U-Sports does with the CFL. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to see him get his opportunity. He's a good dude, uh, and now he's got a chance to kind of make his name known outside of the the ranks that he's already kind of dominated from time to time. You mentioned uh, Chris Osikusi falling to the fourth round. I think he went 30th overall. Were there other guys that surprised you the way they fell, or were there other guys that you would call maybe the steal of the draft? Uh, Kwaku Boateng went 41st overall. Taylor Loeffler went 19th. He's now an all-star, basically, and he's in Montreal getting paid big money. Are there guys like that that you could see us talking about them the same way maybe this time next year? Yeah, I'll give you 
two kind of off the top of my head. Actually, three, but two of them are tied together. I would say Vincent Desjardins, the defensive lineman from Laval, a lot of people wanted to give him more credit um, than they started at the beginning of the process because the more you watch his film at Laval, I mean, Matthew Betts is there getting the sack. Vincent Desjardins is six inches away on most of those plays. Like, if Betts doesn't finish the job, Desjardins is going to do it for him happily. So I think it was surprising to see him slide deeper into the second round. I thought he might be a late first-round, early second-round kind of player, very similar to Marco Dubois, I would say, who a lot of teams, you know, he had a very niche ability. He wasn't an amazing receiver, amazing route runner, but he was a special teamer, and he was a really physical player. For me, it was kind of that same vibe where I'm like, that dude's just a really good football player, and I think teams are going to see that. So Desjardins slid a little bit. Uh, I think Fraser Sopic going 31st. I don't know what he is. Is he a DB? Is he a linebacker? Is he a special teamer exclusively? Is he going to become Jason Araki, or is he going to become a random guy that plays a bunch on specials and never accomplishes anything? I have no clue. But I will say this, he's really damn good at football. So for him to slide to 31, uh, I think there might be some teams that look back at next year and, and they see you know, uh, Eric Mezzalira, who was drafted out of McMaster to the Stampeders last year that had a great rookie year on special teams alongside Fraser Sopic, and they're like, damn, why can't we return any kicks against the Stampeders? It's like, yeah. well, if you let Fraser Sopic slide to 31st, that's why. Uh, and then the one that I think is a bit of a steal out there from Canada West that I, I have a lot of appreciation for, at 58th overall, the Ticats selected Derek Dufault. Uh, and Dufault, to me, when I watched him in the Western Regional Combine, uh, he was a really dynamic pass rusher. I mean, he's not going to blow you away. He's not going to give you the crazy variety of pass rush moves. He's not going to bull rush you and pick you up off of your, your heels and throw you to the side and chase down the quarterback. But he's just, he looks like a really good football player to me. And I don't know a ton about him, to be honest, guys. Like, I watched one of his games against Calgary from this past year. He made a couple of plays here and there, but I just I was really impressed by him in the regional combine, and I love those guys that perform well at the regionals, don't get the invite to the nationals, but just get drafted late, and then you're looking back two, three years down the road, and you're like, huh, that was weird that that guy went 58. Like I think Sean Thomas Erlington we talked about off the top here, he is somebody that went, I think, like 61st or 63rd, something like that, and now he might be a starting running back in the CFL. And it's like, it's like, why didn't people realize sooner that maybe he was just really good at football? And it's not a shot at GMs or scouts. It's just that sometimes guys develop as they get into a camp. And I see Dufault as being someone that I think we'll look back in three years and be like, wow, he's developed really nicely. And, oh, look, he's in the backfield sacking Bo Levi. <laughs> well, what did you make about the Winnipeg draft pick? Offensive lineman out of Hawaii, Tavita Eli, I believe his name is. He's been out of football, but when he was playing, some called him one of the best uh, centers in NCAA. <laughs> Do you know more about this guy? I, I, the Riders sort of did something like this with uh, Eddie Meredith, I think, a couple years yeah. ago. But I don't know if he had the pedigree that this pick has. I also remember uh, the Riders taking an offensive lineman a couple years ago. His name was, I think, Chris Smith, I want to say, from York. And I got a text from one of my buddies that works at the Ford plant in Oakville. And he said, did I just hear that the Riders drafted Chris Smith out of York? And I said, uh, yeah. He goes, dude, he works with me at the Ford plant. He has no interest in playing football. Wow. I have no clue why they just drafted him. And he was like, he hadn't worked out in a while and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's always one, all right? There's always one yeah. that pops up in the draft, and we all look at it, and we twist our neck. And I honestly think, like, as frustrating as that is to have a player like that that's kind of off the board sneak up on me personally, like even David Unger from Idaho, he snuck up on me big time. If it wasn't for Justin Dunk's report, I wouldn't know a damn thing about Unger because I never heard about him from teams. So 
Uh, I, I think there's always one. There's always two. The one thing I will say on this, you can't spell elite without Tavita Eli, right? Yeah. So I think, <laughs> uh, you, need, you need to be able to get that guy at camp. But the most amazing thing that I, I think about this is how the hell did a Hawaii offensive lineman not get taken by June Jones? Like, that does not make any sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You think if one guy knew. <laughs> <laughs> He's got right. Like, think about this. Nick Rolovich, okay, here's the tangled web that we weave, guys. Nick Rolovich is now the head coach at the University of Hawaii. Nick Rolovich was a quarterback for June Jones at uh. the University of Hawaii. Nick Rolovich went on to be the junior college coach at the College of San Francisco when Jeremiah Masoli was a junior college quarterback at the College of San Francisco. Wow. So Masoli had played for Nick Rolovich under a run-and-shoot system that he learned from June Jones at Hawaii before Rolovich became the head coach at Hawaii, where June Jones used to be the head coach at Hawaii. All of this is to say, how the hell did June Jones not take this guy? Like, I don't, I don't know how Nick Rolovich didn't call him and be like, hey, this guy is eligible, or maybe June Jones heard about him, and he's like, ah, he's not really for me. But, I mean, in Hamilton, it's been three years, essentially, of, just a uh, Hawaii East, and uh, I'm amazed that he didn't end up being a tie cat. Yeah, that that seems like such a rider move to draft a guy that you know is has no interest in football. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so, tie cats had five picks first three rounds. Would, would you say they had the best day at the draft, or it, it, are they you know top three? Like who who would you say would have won won the day? So I think Hamilton did a really good job of addressing needs because uh, as sad as this is to say, and it pains me to say, Luke Tasker is not going to be around forever. And so I think David Unger has an opportunity now to be learning from Luke Tasker, shift the inside slot, maybe a ratio changer at an inside receiver spot that we don't see very often. Uh, so I think that was important. I think for them to be able to go out and get themselves uh, a very talented Nikola Kalinic, who we haven't mentioned yet, from York, he's just a very aggressive special teamer extraordinary. They're going to mix him in, I think, on some different sets where maybe he's the tight end in a six-man offensive line set, and he releases to the flats, and he can catch the ball well. He's not a burner. He's not going to run away from you. He ran a 4.99 40-second dash, so uh, he's not going to run away from anybody, I don't think, in the <laughs> CFL. But, uh, but he is an interesting prospect that they decided to take at, I believe, the 10th overall pick. And then picking up a hometown guy, Jesse Gibbon from Waterloo, I think that was super important, too. Uh, and I, So, yeah, I think Hamilton did a good job. They addressed the needs that they had. Saskatchewan addressed the needs that they had. I think uh, if Jonathan Kongbo turns into an absolute stud, then we might say, you know, looking back, that Winnipeg got him and Drew Desjardins from Windsor. They might have won the draft. But for me, and this is kind of unfair to all the other teams in the CFL, I feel like, you know, Edmonton goes out and they're like, you know what, let's, let's get the pass rusher. Let's get Matthew Betts third overall, and we hope that he shows up. And then the Argos are like, Let's get our, you know, our tackle of the future here in Shane Richards, and he can be a ratio changer at that spot. Everybody was going after needs, right? Everybody was targeting something that they felt like, oh, we've got to improve this part of the roster. Calgary just sat back, it felt like, and every pick that came up, they're like, okay, we'll just take the best player on the board. Thanks, guys. And I was <laughs> amazed by that because, like, for the team that won the Great Cup, too, yeah, they might have had a need here or there. They lost Lamar Durant, I believe, in free agency to BC. So they go out, they get Herjie Mayala. Maybe he replaces him right away. But then it's like, okay, Vincent Desjardins, he comes in, he'll probably have a starting spot. And it just feels like as you go back through their draft as a whole, you look at it and you're like, they got Fraser Sopic, he's going to make special teams tackles. Desjardins, within a couple of years, is going to be a five to six sack guy who's getting influence in the run game. Herjie Mayal is going to have himself 30 catches in a couple of years. We're going to look back on this draft and be like, how the hell did Calgary do that? Like, I don't understand how they just consistently take a player and go, yep, thanks, guys. And so I think if I had to pick a winner, there's a lot of good teams that did good things that I think it'll all shake out, like I said, where there's a possibility of everybody kind of being a winner. But I really do think if you look at what Calgary does, 
everybody else goes for needs, and the Stamps just sit back and wait for the best player and then mold them into whatever they do need. I wasn't sure what to say about Ottawa, but I look at CFL.ca on the draft tracker, and it says Alex Fontana is six foot thirty. So, uh... yeah, that's a big dude. That is a big man. I don't know if you're going to get around that guy, but I assume he's probably six three. That's my guess. Yeah, he is, he's a good player. I was uh, yeah. I thought that he might have been drafted as uh, possibly the future center for the Tiger Cats at the spot they took Jesse Gibbon, but I think. Looking forward here, the plan for the Ticats and the reason that they probably didn't go with Fontana is because I wonder whether or not when Mike Filer is done, he's still got some good years left in him at center, but when Filer's done, uh, I wonder if they decide to kick Brandon Revenberg into center and then maybe put Gibbon and Sirocco at their guards and maybe that's the future of their interior offensive line. So Fontana went, yeah, to Ottawa, and I wonder what that says about their confidence in the depth chart moving forward, but... Um, Ottawa had some a couple of draft picks that I kind of twisted my eyebrow at, not because they were bad picks, but just they were they were interesting. But I think again, I, I as much as I love to analyze this stuff and overreact in the moment because it is fun and it's great to analyze it, I do think that this stuff will shake out. Yeah. And we'll get a good perspective in a couple of years of how everything went down. Yeah, we thank you for coming on to chat with us again. I, I believe you're off to Ottawa for the East West Bowl. Uh, what Thursday? Yeah, I'm a. I'm out there as of Thursday. I'm going to be uh, producing as much content, basically, as I can for U Sports and the CFL. So I'm for three days, I'm taking over uh, the U Sports Instagram handle a little bit. I'm writing articles for both websites each day. Uh, I'm going to be hopefully shooting a sit-down roundtable with four different U Sports head coaches about kind of the, the direction of the game and the way that it's being coached and officiated and all of that kind of stuff, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to be doing some breakdowns as of actually uh, Wednesday evening. I'm, I'm starting to chip away at some film analysis of some guys because uh, they've been nice enough to access, uh, let me access the practice film from the East West Bowl. So I'm going to be posting some of the highlights from practice that people don't get to see because you only get to see the game usually. Uh, I just I told them it's it's too good of an event. It's too underrated. It's not appreciated enough for it to kind of go in the darkness and just pop up on Saturday and play a game. So. Going to try to bring as much light as possible to that. Carlton's a great venue. Ottawa's a great city for football, as we know. Uh, and I'm really hoping that people get out and support it. But it's uh, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year because I don't have a damn clue who half these guys are. And yeah. I can go find out. And then they all get drafted next year, and we all act like experts like I just did for the last half hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think the game will be streamed for live or for free at usports.live. And, yeah, uh, screw these 2019 guys. We're already on to the 2020 draft, aren't we? <laughs> I would love to get to the point where I could be like the NFL guys and the, the NCAA analysts who, uh, when the draft happens, the next morning you post your 2020 mock draft. That's wow. Eventually, at some point, that's the goal because I think that would be super fun to do, even if people think yeah. it's ridiculous. I would love to do that, but I just didn't have the confidence in doing it this year. So that's uh, that's. Moving forward, little uh, tidbit there, a little Easter egg for your listeners that that's the plan moving forward. Well, we thank you for coming on to share some uh, CFL draft expertise with us. Where can uh, everybody find more of Marshall Ferguson? Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. So at TSN underscore Marsh is uh, is my spot that I am posted up at, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. I have launched a new project that I'm really excited about kind of on the side because I felt guilty just spraying analysis like I just did for the last half hour with you guys into my personal Twitter account. So okay. uh, I, have a new, I have a new deal going that is Canadian football perspective. It's kind of in the same vein of pro football focus uh, where I'm giving some advanced uh, analytical type stuff on uh, the CFL, and hopefully I'll be able to expand that to U Sports if I end up getting 
kind of a big enough crew of people that are interested in working. But I've started up a website. Uh, it's called CF Perspective, cfperspective.com. And basically I'm recruiting right now. I've got a couple of people that are writing about youth sports. We're going to try to have uh, a dedicated analyst that I'm going to be recruiting and hiring throughout uh, the youth sports season for each of the four youth sports conferences. And then uh, myself and uh, a couple other people around the CFL that are interested in analytics, cough, cough, the details, uh, hopefully they will be involved with this website as well and we'll be able to offer up some really interesting stuff for people. So at TSN underscore Marsh and at CF Perspective is the place to find all those goodies. Awesome. Hey, thanks for taking the time and have fun in Ottawa. Thank you, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Marshall for coming on the podcast and giving us his expertise when it comes to the draft. Travis Curra, Brazilian tie. We will talk to you next week. Training camps are supposed to open towards the end of next week. I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) I don't know if anyone does. Maybe we're going to be able to talk about some new jerseys. That's about it, though. Did you hear the Devils are getting new jerseys? (laughs) Oh, that joke never gets old. That is absolutely brutal. (laughs) And and you know what? I almost fall for a hook, line, and sinker every time. I know. And it's great. It's great. Because I can do it over text so you don't see my face. We are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Check out the website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. They launched a new one a few months ago. So many great podcasts a part of this. I know everybody wants to get their summer bod. Good to go. How are you doing in that department, Ty? Let's let's wait till after May long before I start working on the summer bod. <laughs> it's a little late now, buddy. <laughs> No, no, no. no. I, I'm not starting work on it until after May long because all the work I do on it is going to be undone in those three days. Okay, okay. <laughs> so check out Healthy Lifestyle Design. Uh, Pamela and her mom, Janet, host a show. It only takes one single step to make a positive change in your life, body, mind, and soul. All of the above. Inspiring people hosting this podcast. Inspiring people in this whole network. We're just kind of the schlubbies here. So check out people that are much smarter and better than us. Somebody's (laughs) got to be the worst. (laughs) AlbertaPodcastNetwork.com. Healthy lifestyle design. Fascinating podcast. Do you think you could host a podcast with your mom, Ty? And I know she's listening, so be careful. (laughs) I plead the fifth. (laughs) I I could host one with your dad, though. I'd do one with Dell in a heartbeat. I would love we, we, to listen to it that. Would need, it would need the explicit on it, though, I'm sure of it. I would produce it. I'd be willing to produce it. <laughs> that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully we have some good news as far as collective bargaining goes. Have yourself a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.